following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I have the privilege of getting into the the text before I have the privilege of preaching it, and and so I come with anticipation and excitement, and um, but I also come knowing kind of like the you know the the nature of the text, and 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 uh, and these songs this morning were just so rich and appropriate to what we're talking about today, and it couldn't be more necessary for for the church to hear this message, you know, right from Jesus's lips, and uh, we're going to look at different passages to kind of bring you know uh further understanding to this rich rich promise that uh that gives us every reason to uh to endure and persevere and stay the course um do you guys know that it's darkest before the dawn do you know that that it's darkest before the dawn and um and and why i say that is you know like before the coming of our king before Christ's sure return, uh, before light himself comes back to uh, do away with the sun uh, and uh, and to be our eternal light, like um, you know things things are are promised that it's going to be difficult, hard, and dark, right like humanity uh, in itself, as we talked about last week, like it said in, it says in in, uh, in in Ephesians five like that we were darkness like it's it's not that it was a part of us that we 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 actually were darkness and and now we are light right and and that all that that, that miraculous transformation all transpired by the the finishing work of the cross god god brought us back to life and then we're told in john chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 that in him was life and that life was the light of men Right. So he's brought us back to life and he's made us the light of the world because his life in us actually illuminates our lives and causes us to shine, as we talked about last week. But but as we as we move closer and closer to the day, capital D, as we see in the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, you'll find that as it as it speaks of the day of the Lord, when Christ will come back for his bride and and burst through the heavens in a in a, in a triumphant uh, entry and rescue his bride. But on that same day, which the Old Testament refers to as the great and dreadful day of the Lord, because it's both is that that is the day of judgment. That is the day where the door is closed. Uh, like with the ark, that's the day when the ark is sealed shut, right? I, I just I just for a moment, I uh, want to put ourselves in a couple of contexts as we prepare our hearts, uh, three to be in fact, as we prepare our hearts for this text. And let's do it chrono- chronologically. Number one, let's imagine the context of Genesis 6. Okay, it says, now this is, a, this is approximately 1,569 years after creation. Okay, so there's been some time. And in this moment, it says, all the thoughts of man were only evil all the time, and it broke the heart of God that he had even made man. Like the context of humanity was so dark and so diminished from its intention that it was, it was all the thoughts were only evil 
all the time. That's what the scripture says. And God was grieved, right, that over humanity's uh, disobedience and separation, brokenness and darkness. And he says, I will not contend with man any longer. His days will be 120 years. And uh, and we see the beginning of, of Noah's faithful work uh, of building an ark. Now, let's keep in mind that it's the the ark was an outpouring was a was an expression of Noah's faith and confidence that God would do exactly what he said he was going to do, which was he was going to bring a flood. Right. And the outward working of his hands was a demonstration of his faith. Right. And 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 the truth is, is that every, all eight members that ended up on that ark, Noah, his three sons and their wives, like were all on the coattails of of Noah's faith. He says he was a righteous man. He walked with God and he was blameless among his generation. But let me ask you a question with all that stated. How hard do you think it was for Noah to live among that generation as a man of faith, blameless to to their iniquity? Do you know what I'm saying? You know, you know how difficult that would have been to to swim upstream, to be counterculture, um, to live with faith. And 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 can you imagine the the criticism, uh, the the mockery? I mean, he's building an ark. It's never rained ever. They don't even know what that means, right? And there's a flood coming. God's about to pour 50% of the water uh, on the planet was above the earth, and I mean, it was about to pour down. Like in the, the floodgates would be opened and, and every mountaintop, every, it was not a regional, this is a global flood, would, would consume humanity. Now, I want you to just imagine for a moment, because all of this is relevant to our passage, I want you to imagine for a moment that when God shuts that, that ark up, seals the ark as a way of rescuing Noah and his family, um, and, and please understand that the reason Noah was unique to this opportunity was because of his faith in God and his promises that were absolutely demonstrated by the, the fact that he built an ark, right? And, um, but in this moment, can you imagine when the floodwaters come, can you imagine like the people beating on the door, beating on the ark, Going, I believe now. I, I, I see it. I see it. I be-. and and can you imagine the the just the sadness in that moment? But can you also imagine how grateful those eight people were for their rescue, for their redemption? How grateful maybe his sons and their wives and his wife were grateful for. Now they're they're probably they probably questioned his faith along the way. Why are we doing all this? But they're so grateful for his trust in God in this moment. But but this is a great and dreadful day, isn't it? Um, it broke the heart of God. We see in chapter 9, he says, I, I, I don't ever want to go through that. that I'll, I'll put a bow in the sky just to, just to let you know that I promise never to flood the earth again. But there are some promises that are coming that, um, that won't involve water but fire. And if we ignore those things and uh, and don't consider those to be warnings of truth promises that will be that will come to fruition, we are, we are we are in for a um, a shocking reality um, that won't be pleasant. And and so I, I move forward in the chronology in in the book of Genesis to an occasion where Lot is in Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Sodom and Gomorrah, much like Noah's generation, was um, morally depraved to the point where, um, you know, I mean, God shows up uh, in angelic form and in in, in two angels show up to Sodom for a predestined, decided event. Right. It's a decided event. Right. Uh, Abraham pleads for their for their mercy, for their for their rescue uh, for on, on Lot's behalf. And there's not even 10 righteous. We know that there's, in fact, first Peter, Peter says one righteous lot that pleaded with his, his generation. And yet fire, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Uh, meteor shower, sulfur, like just destroyed, left with no remnant other than Lot and his wife and his two daughters leaving town. And she turns around, right, because of her her heart orientation to what is behind her instead of what's in front, and and uh, and she is she is turned to a pillar of salt. Like that's the that's just the consequence of disobedience in that situation. And then I I bring us to um, to the to the tomb on Sunday morning at the break of dawn, and. And the thing that's sad for me in this particular moment is as much excitement and joy and celebration there is in, 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 in the resurrection, one of the sad scenarios is that how many people are outside that tomb on that Sunday morning going, okay, any time now. <laughs> okay, he said he's coming. How many? None. None. Nobody took Jesus at his word. Over and over again, he said, but I'll rise again. All of his disciples were amply told like that this was going to be the result of this this devastating moment. And yet, I mean, there are those that are there. The ladies came to anoint a dead body, but no one's expecting a risen savior. He's not here. He's just like he said he would. And nobody, I mean, how one, one righteous Noah, one righteous Lot. And, and again, like Rob said, their righteousness was based in their trust, their faith in God. That's imputed to us because we just put our hope in him. And it, it, it will always be in, in ways that just seem completely profound and oftentimes even impossible, right? And um, And so like, do you believe this morning that Christ is coming back for his bride? That he's coming back for his church? You know, like if if that's your, I mean, that's a promise that's made. And I believe with all of this evidence of the past and all of these events to kind of bring um, bring clarity even to, to what Jesus has promised in our future, um, like we're told it's going to be few. It's going to be few. Jesus said, well, I find faith on the earth when I return. What he's saying is, well, I find faith in me demonstrated in 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 action. Guys, it's going to be darkest before the dawn. Can I just tell you that that's what scripture tells us? Look at the nation of Israel right before their deliverance. Did, did it get dark? I mean, one of the plagues was darkness, right? I mean, was it was it difficult? Before their deliverance? 
Was it difficult for Noah and Lot, maybe before their deliverance, living in such an unrighteous, uh, immoral context? And I, I just say this because I love you so deeply and I want us to be prepared for, for what's in front of us, right? But I want us to, to have exceeding joy and confidence in, 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 in God's promises and Christ's promises to us that he's coming back for his bride. Like this is, this is, this is a done deal. And I hope, I hope that it's, it's different than, than the three occasions I've described where they'll be, they'll be, as I'll use this passage in our benediction that's so rich that, that we, we are, you know, look up for your redemption is here, right? There will come a day, right? That, that, that Christ returns for his bride. And until that day, we are called to endure trusting and knowing that, that, that our rescue is on the horizon. Now, we might ask then, then you know, it's, it's, so, it's so needed in our culture, like this rescue. I'm so, anybody else desirous of this rescue? Like this moment, you know, like, I mean, the last verse of the entire New Testament, come Lord Jesus, right? I mean, like, come, right? Like this, this is the final words of Revelation, and Paul says in first in Philippians one that like like to be with him is better by far to live as Christ to die is gain right like so like it should be kind of our 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 living hope that develops uh, great perseverance and endurance in the midst of the darkness and the trials and the adversity and the mockery and the blessed life like that, that this should this should uh, this is what causes us but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 he says look if the resurrection is in fact which it's fact he says 500 people attest and many are still alive like but like if it's that I'm to be pitied more than any other man why because I've put all my hope in this I've put all my confidence in Christ's promises and he says he says this and I will not be put to shame Right? Is that your conviction? Because look, if our conviction isn't deep and rich and, and, and reinforced, because boy, we need it, in the truth of God's word and the, and the security of God's promises, then these, these days that are dark and weary and difficult and hard, hated and being hated, like all of that, like that, that can be anybody? That can be hard. That can be difficult. It's hard to watch is it hard to watch the moral decay of our cult, of our culture and content? Is it hard? Is it hard to watch our friends fall into sinful choices and behavior and, and, and choose it as if it's right when it's so wrong? Right? Is it painful to, but yes, but in the midst of that, like the reason I opened up with the whole piece on light again is that like we have to understand, like, can I tell you this morning? That light always overcomes darkness. Always. Not sometimes, but every time. Every single time. And that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Can I tell you that this morning? That that's the truth? That we should be walking in a confidence and a peace and a joy and a faith in a God that has already pronounced victory and it's and listen, why is it not here yet as I started this train of thought? It's because God is patient 
and he desires that none should perish. Look, at the end of our passage today, I promise you, you're going to feel much like me. And I heard others in our class this morning speak. It's like, man, I want Jesus to come back. I can't wait for him to make all things new. I can't wait for this glorified body. I can't wait. And man, as I get older, I can't wait for this glorified body. Like, I, I just, like, I'm just saying, like, but then aren't we also in the same, in the same exact thought we're going, but I want, I want them to know Christ and I want her to know Christ and I want him to know the Lord. Can we trust that God, God's heart is bigger than ours and that he, he knows everyone's heart and, and he, like when Jesus came, do you know how many times we're told that he came at just the right time? That God had ordained a time that Christ showed up. And when he did, like the Romans had planned this horrible form of ex that was obscure to Isaiah's prophet. You know what I mean? Like it was just the right time. And Jesus is going to come back in the clouds. And, and you get this, you get this, this sense that Jesus is, is excited about. Can you imagine? This is his, this is a wedding. This is a wedding. This is his bride that he has been been advocating and sent his spirit to 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 bring radiance to and to prepare. Like, do you think that he might have some excitement about this moment? Like, there's there's great anticipation and excitement. There's a banquet. There's a feast. Like, there's a there, there's a, the, this is the culmination of all the Israel's festivals. Boom, right? There's great excitement over this. But we also hear excitement about just one, one, one sinner repenting because they know that they, they will now be a part of this grand, glorious celebration of the Lamb's victory and God's coronation on humanity as far as bringing heaven to earth in its fullest sense. But what I want to say to you this morning too is that, man, do you know that the kingdom has come? And that we have a king? Like so, I've said this before, but I want to say it again. Like so often, so often we're worshiping Jesus as if he's still hanging on a cross. We're, we're treating him uh, even in worship as if he's still the suffering servant. Rather than being reminded that he's the, he, he's conquered death. He's conquered the grave. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the, he's the firstborn of all creation when it comes to resurrection. And, and like, he's king. He's seated. Right? That's who he is. He's the lamb who was slain, but is now king, glorified. And when we get the pictures that John sees of Jesus in this heavenly vision, it's, it's glorious. And, and this is our king. And, and he has a kingdom that he's brought to, to earth. And it's, it's, it's in us. Like he's planted his spirit. Where, where, where God is, that's where the kingdom is. Like what makes heaven heaven is God. Right? The, no, that burning bush wasn't holy ground until he was present. Right? It just, it's just, he, he is what changes, makes anything new and holy. And so when God takes up residence in, in a human life and, and abides in us, it's this 
beautiful thing that God has done is that we are in Christ and he is, he is in us. And there is this oneness this, that's being achieved through the work of the Holy Spirit. But none of that is possible without the cross and the resurrection and, and, uh, and the power of God being poured out upon humanity. And now the Spirit of God is, is in us. So the kingdom of God, because the Spirit is God, the kingdom of God is in us. And so now we are ambassadors living on foreign soil as citizens of a different kingdom representing a culture that is foreign to our context. Does that make sense? We're ambassadors here, but we live by a whole different set of guidelines that really are not rules anymore, but they're principles that we believe are truth that bring life and liberty and hope and joy and peace. And we live those things out because we know because we've experienced it, we know the hope and joy and love of God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so now the kingdom wants to invite others into its citizenship through us. Right? Because, because don't you want the kingdom of God? I mean, aren't we called to pray for that? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Don't we want that? And how that gets realized is ultimately God's work, but it uses us, which is such a privilege to, to, to be salt and light, to be the preservative that holds back the, 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 the onslaught of moral decay, like stands, it stands against lies with truth in a loving format and, and approach, gentle, but bold and confident that love wins and truth prevails? Anyone like resonating with this? Right? I, I just want you to have his heart today, but I want you to know I'm pouring mine out for it. Like, look, it's going to be hard. Right? Look at Jesus' model. He said, follow me. Look at it. It was, you know, he was light in the midst of darkness. He was the only light in all the darkness. And then he brought us back to life and, and now we're the light of the world. Do you think that that's not going to be hard? Do you, know, do you think that's not going to be counterculture? Be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might test and approve what God's good, perfect, and pleasing will is. And so... Jesus in, in, in all of that, can you imagine like, like truth himself, like the full embodiment of all the, the full understanding of, of truth shows up in the context of lie, right? And is, is just imparting himself in order to liberate the captives, in order to, to, to share the light. Right? Like, and he, and he did that at his, at his own expense. No one, no one pushed this upon him. And, and, and when he's asked, like, why are you doing this? We're told in Romans 5 by the Spirit, it says, to demonstrate the Father's love. You need to know how much God loves you. And I'm gonna show you, cause no greater love than this than a man lay down his life. Look, the same the same God that took on skin 
and lived almost 2,000 years ago and made promises about his resurrection is the same Emmanuel that said, I'm coming back for my bride and you can count on it. And if we put our stock, if we put our hope, if we put all of our confidence in that, it's evident by the way that we live. You can't be living for the resurrection and be treasuring this world and living for uh, the now. You can't. It, you, you'll, be in, you'll be in conflict all the time. It's a, it's a whole different objective. It's a whole different mindset. It's a, I mean, if you're either in here or you're in here, but you can't be here. Like, it's one or the other. And, um, and so as I open this passage and you're like, Colin, come on, get to it. Here we go. Um, there's a, there's a constant conversation that, that goes on in first century Judaism. There's a constant conversation that's happening about the coming of the kingdom. And this is why they're so hungry for deliverance. Does that make sense? They, they want this. They want all the promises of the, of what the king, don't miss this. They want all the promises that Jesus is still yet to fulfill in his second coming that is talked about in Daniel, that's talked about in Ezekiel, right? The Valley of Dry Boat. All of, all these wonderful promises that the Old Testament prophets have prophesied that have yet to come to fruition in the conquering king of Christ's second return. That's where they kind of set up camp. But they, they ignored the passages of suffering servant. You know, and and all that that Jesus had to do that he says I must do in order to be this king that will then come back for his bride. I have to deal with your debt. I have to I have to I have to bring you back. I have to make you mine. And then I have to pour. It says it's better that I go that the Holy Spirit might come and then he might finish this work that I've started. He called that all start. So in the midst of this, this culture that is hungry for deliverance, they're often asking the question, when's the kingdom coming? Now, that makes sense, right? That makes sense. Like, when, when are we going to be, uh, you know, get these Romans off our back? And when are we going to see, you know, the, the kingdom like it was in Solomon's day and David's day and the, the Maccabees? And, you know, like when, when, when Israel had these moments of victory and then just wandered into disobedience again, like, you know, when is that that king that's promised to be an eternal king that would be in the line of David that would sit on his throne forever? Like, when when is that coming to fruition? Because... Can you imagine that their hopes were wrapped up in that? As ours should be. So in chapter in chapter 17, which is in the chronology of where we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, uh, we pick up again, as we left off in 19, we pick up in, in verse 20, and, and it says this. Being asked by the Pharisees, speaking of Jesus, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the, the, the disciples, now he turns from this conversation with the Pharisees, and, he, and, and he's always seeking to pour into his students, his learners. And he said to, his, to the disciples, the days are coming. Now just imagine being told this when you've put all your hope and stock in life and 
in, in Jesus, like the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be on his day. But first, but first, just so you don't go there, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus tells them that. Just as it was, then he gets back to this conversation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man, speaking of himself. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, Jesus says, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day, the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed what? Destroyed them all. And this is what he says. This is what the God of the universe warning and declaring for for eternal audience, he says, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Revealed. And it's coming like lightning. It's coming in a twinkling of an eye, at the midnight cry. All these things we've given as, as indicators. Verse 31, on that day, I don't think he could be any more clear. Let the one who is on the rooftop or housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Sobering passage? For sure. So verse 1 of our text together says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. What is he saying? It's it's not coming in ways that you perceive or you uh, you have depicted or designed like in in it's not coming like you expect right it's it, the coming of the kingdom was different than they thought there would be bloodshed but not theirs an enemy would be defeated but not rome captives would be liberated peace would conquer conflict love would overcome hate death would lead to life. They could not predict its arrival. They couldn't because they had no idea of its context or its coming. They didn't even understand its king. And and much like the second coming, we have these same details and ingredients and we got to be careful we don't fall into the same trap 
of wanting things on our terms and based on our preferences rather than embracing God's truth and and making that our our wants and desires. Does that make sense? That's really about, that's what lordship is about. It's not trying to conform him to our image and our will and our way and our kingdom, but wanting his will, knowing that it's best, knowing that it's perfect, wanting his will to come, his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Verse 21 goes on to say, nor will they say, Look, here it is. Or there. Like, it's, that's not how it comes to fruition. That's not, in fact, it's interesting what he goes on to say here. He says, for, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. What's he talking about? I'm right here. He says this over and over again in different ways and forms and expressions. He, he, he declares himself God. And, and he's doing it again. He is say, like where God is, that's where the kingdom is. And Jesus is saying the, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Right here. The question reveals their blindness and doubt. They are completely ignorant to his presence and his purpose. No wonder they're, they're confused about the kingdom's coming. So who or what is Jesus talking about? He had come to bring his kingdom. He had come to bring the kingdom. Liberate the captives. Right? So how could they see the kingdom if they could not see its king? Does that make sense? Like, he's right there. Like, he's in their presence. Like, he is the embodiment. He's the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. And yet, they are, they are at odds with that. In Luke, uh, this we'll get to this in a few chapters uh, forward of where we're at. In Luke 19, 38 to 40, it says this. And you'll remember this. This was the, um, the we, we celebrated on Palm Sunday. Um, it's the, it's Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is riding in on the donkey into Jerusalem. This is a, about a week before his resurrection and days before his arrest. And, um, And it says this, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to glory in the highest. And some of the, this is it. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why are they saying that? They're going, hey, teacher, like they're claiming that you're our long awaited Messiah, that you're the, you're the promised king that's coming into your, like, man, Tell them to stop saying that. Like that blasphemy. How, how could you let them say that about you? Right? That's what they're saying. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Isn't that awesome? Like creation itself is evidence that God, man is without excuse. They had different objectives and outcomes in mind. And we got to be careful that we don't. Right, that, that we're not trying to get God to do our thing. That we are fully declaring lordship. Why do you say, Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? It's not true. They, were a, they had a strong appetite for deliverance, but they did not understand the means to his end. And you know what? We've got to give them a lot of grace. They didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit. 
to interpret God's word for for clear and concise direction in this context. Well, this is not the only time that a Pharisee has failed to understand the kingdom and how it comes to fruition. You, You remember the Pharisee that Jesus had a conversation with about this? His name was Nicodemus. And in John chapter 3, this is, what the, this is how the conversation goes. Verses 1 through 7. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler uh, of, the, of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, now don't miss this. Truly, truly, I say to you. And, and this is so like Jesus. Like he just, you know, it doesn't matter what the question is, what the, you know, he just gets right to the heart of the matter, right? He just, he just sees their heart and he gets right. So anytime Jesus says, truly, truly, pay attention, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the what? The kingdom of God. And that's not just visual perception, that is experiential, that is receive, embrace, unless they are born again. Well, obviously that's a hard concept for Nicodemus because he goes on to say, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Doesn't this kind of shed a light on just how like physical, like perception can, can blind us to spiritual truth? Like, and he is the ruler of Israel, right? That's oh, the teacher of Israel in, in, in another part of this text. So it says, this is what he goes on to say. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Cannot. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit his spirit, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So clarifying, right? I mean, speaks right to what Jesus is saying here in our text. They did not understand how the kingdom would come by the means of the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus was the only light on the earth during the context of his ministry. Nobody else. Where it was uh, John the Baptist, maybe the only exception, but, but he was the light of the world. He was the kingdom of God on earth. But his desire was to manifest that, that kingdom into, into others and to, and to be their rescue and then to include them in the family and in the kingdom so that they might, uh, propagate, right? Go forth and be fruitful. Like this is the ultimate expression of God's, of God's command in the garden, uh, is, is fruitfulness. Right? Be fruitful and multiply. And so, the Holy Spirit is, is, is the, it's the, it's the key to, uh, to us ever having the, the see, cause when, when God enters into us, tabernacles us, makes us His temple, doesn't that make sense? That's how God abided with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is by bringing His presence through blood and through all of these means in order to create an environment for his presence to be with them. And now <laughs> he has done the greater work to bring his presence inside us and to make us the temple, 
right? And to, and more like even tabernacle, like so that we can wander through the desert of uh, 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 the aridness, spiritually speaking, of, of our culture uh, with his presence and his power to bring victory. It's all, it's all written in there. It's all kind of assumed uh, with the understanding of the, the Old Testament. They did not understand the nature and source of the kingdom. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. And so I love that we have a concise answer in Scripture to this whole thing. So if you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it'll be on the screen, but I, I, I'd say turn to it because I'd love for you to highlight this. Uh, to, to, to really make this a, 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 something you underline in your Bible. Um, but it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There it is. There's the answer, right? This is, this is, what, this is the, the culture. This is the, this is the characteristics. This is the ingredients of the kingdom of God. Right? It's joy and peace and righteousness. It's not, it's not feasting and food and, and, uh, and those things. That's, that's, that's an, a, a, a human, a earthly connotation. So our, our passage continues in verse 22 and it says, And he said to his disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Okay, again, he's preparing them for his departure. But secondly, he is saying like, this is what he's saying, guys. This is huge. Like, because the kingdom is present here with me here, as a byproduct, you're experiencing that. Let me, let me use an illustration. Um, if you are a spirit-filled believer and the kingdom of God is in you and the fruit of the spirit manifests in and through your life, others experience the kingdom through you. Doesn't that make sense? Like Moses shining, you know, like, like others experience his presence through your presence. But when you're not with them, they're not experiencing the kingdom, right? And Jesus is saying, you, you're, you're going to wish for one of these days, just one, when I'm gone, right? And, uh, and so you can imagine, like, he's, 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 he's not pulling punches. He's telling them, but you will not see it. He is saying that I'm leaving, right? And it's good. Later, he says, good that I go, right? Because that, that is going to be the catalyst to bring the spirit that will then make you the kingdom too, right? It's interesting that he unpacks the specifics with his disciples, with those that are closest to him. And I connect that to last week's message because we're called to walk in the light. That's where clarity is. That's where insight is. That's where preparation and protection and provision is, is being close to him. That's what Jesus purchased us back to is, is an intimate relationship with God that then reflects itself in the way that we live, not because of who we are, but because of who he is in us. And so that's, that's, that's the nature of what he's saying to them is, is he's unpacking this for them. In verse 23, he says, and they will say to you, look there. Or look here, do not go out to follow them. Now, we want to make that that they very sinister and, and, and apply that to Pharisees. That's not what it's saying. These are people with good intentions. Oh, look, there's Jesus. Oh, look, Jesus, I think he might be over there. You know, like, like as if he's come back. And there were people that letters, like letters, like were written to churches to say, get back to work. Like, 
and 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 realize that's your mission field because Jesus is coming back, but he, he's coming in an hour we do not know, and and we're not meant to just spend our lives looking for him. We're we're meant to spend our lives living out the Great Commission, right? Because what he's saying here is don't get caught up looking for me. And and it's very relevant to our context because many have gotten all caught up in prophecy at the expense of the Great Commission. You've I, I've seen dozens and dozens of people that have just gone down this road of trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back and and just just diving into and and, and lost the, the 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 main objective which is and and let me make the case in point Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost right they're now filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what are they doing? Are they are they looking for Jesus, or are they or are they seeking lost souls? You see what I'm saying? And that that directive is for us as well. Like I'm not saying that we ignore those prophetic elements. Yeah, we should be aware of those things, but they're not meant to capture us. You know, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Don't go looking for me. I you know I'm not lost, <laughs> right? I'm coming back. And then he goes on to tell it, t- tell them just to make sure that we're understanding what he's saying. He comes back to tell them how he's coming back, what it's going to look like, right? And so it, it you know, we got to be careful that we're not wandering off into this 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 prophetic journey that that kind of really becomes a distraction from our purpose. This is not to say that we should be ignorant, but not distracted. The challenge is to be fruitful until he returns, watchful, waiting, right? Um, so Jesus goes on to say that his return will be obvious to everyone, right? You don't have to go looking for me. No one has to point you to it, <laughs> right? In verse 24, it says, for as the lightning flashes. Now, one of the things that we, we have to understand in that, because we know what lightning, like it's sudden, it's unexpected, it takes us by surprise in the twinkling of an eye, right? Um, so for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, right? So will the son of man be in his day. Like it's not going to be a mystery to anyone. It, later on in other passages, it talks about like every nation, tongue and tribe. Like this is going to be a global event. Jesus is going to show up on the grateful you know the the great and dreadful day of the lord and let me let me share this from first thessalonians 4 starting in verse 15 to 18 just as a commentary on this passage for this we declare this is paul speaking to the church uh, on behalf of his his entourage to to the church in thessalonica and he says uh for this we declare to you by a word from the lord from the lord like this is first-hand information that we who are who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede, precede those who have fallen asleep, those who are those who are dead in Christ. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And when we then we who are alive who are left to the coming of Christ, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then it says this, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Listen to what Matthew chapter 24 says, starting in verse 25. I think this is super clarifying. See, I have told you beforehand. This is Jesus speaking again to his disciples. So if they say to you, look, 
He is in the wilderness. Do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, Later on, verse 29 to 31, it says this. Immediately after the tribulation. Please, if you have time today, go back and read chapter 24. But I'm going to bring some things to, to bear on this. This tribulation is stated as being um, the greatest tribulation that ever was or ever will be. That's stated about this tribulation. And it says after the tribulation, just keep that in mind. Um, it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And now you could think that's an eclipse, but wait till you hear what, what, what comes after that. And the stars will fall from the heavens. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is, this is, a, this is a global, this is a, a, a universal event. Then will the, now listen, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they, here it is, and they will see the Son of Man after coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will see him. And it's talking about all the tribes and nations. They. And he will send out his angels, which we just read about in in 1 Thessalonians, with a loud trumpet call, and they, being the angels, will gather his elect after the tribulation. The greatest, anyway. Um, And it says, from the four winds, which means north, north, south, east, and west. Okay, And that's not foreign to all of Jesus' parables on talking about collecting up the wheat and the weeds. And every, every other parable he talks about is that it, it all happens at the same time, right, on that day. And their destinations are different. But it says, and they will gather the, his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heavens to the other. In the following chapter, in chapter 25 of Matthew, it says, Watch therefore, for you know neither, now he's talking to the saint, you know neither the day nor the hour. We don't know. Anybody starts talking about hours and, you know, all, you start talking about hours and days, write them off as a heretic. I mean, because we're, we're, we're given that. It, Jesus even says the son doesn't know, only the father. Continuing in our text in verse 25, it says, But first, so just so you don't get thinking this is what's next, But first he must suffer, speaking of the Son of Man himself, many things and be rejected by this generation, which we know comes to fruition. But then as we wrap up this text, he gets into these two illustrations about Noah and Lot as a visual aid, as a commentary. And I believe like this, in this context, it clarifies what God was trying to make sure that we didn't miss coming into this moment or coming into the moment in the future. He says this, just as it was in the days of Noah, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
Jesus is saying that his return will have those same characteristics, the same implications, and the same context. They will just be doing business as usual. But we know that when he's describing Noah's context and Lot's context, the assumed point is it's an evil context. It's a decayed scenario, an evil moment. They were all watchful and ready. So, like, were they? Speaking of Noah and Lot, maybe, but are you? Are you, Jesus, that's what he commissions us or commands us to do is to be watchful and ready. Keep oil in your lamp. Be always ready for his return. Uh, I remember sitting at Culver's one night with Sheba and we were sitting in the booth, the window was there. And for some reason, these, these clouds had formed over the Gulf and it looked just like you would imagine, like looking, at least what I've seen, like looking into the Colorado mountains when they were covered in snow. Like, I mean, you just swore at first sight that you're just looking at a mountain range. That's how they, they kind of structured themselves. And then the way the sun was coming down, the light, I'm like, honey, what if Jesus is coming back right now? Like right here, right now. Like he's coming right here, right now. I said, I said, then we had this wonderful conversation. Like, what would you do? Like if he's coming right now. And that's exactly what Jesus says in this moment. He says, don't go running back to your house to get your stuff. Don't leave the field as, as if something is of more importance than this. Don't be like Lot's wife that, that turns around because her heart had had treasures in what was now being destroyed. Like, do we understand that, that everything that, like it's, we've got to be concerned. Like and Jesus is speaking about application here and now, because here's the, here's the point. Don't miss this. Like when that moment comes, think about the chaos of that moment. Think about like, like that's a, that's a twinkling of an eye. That's a, that's maybe a, a midnight cry. Maybe in the mid for us, we don't know, but it's going to come that way and you're going to react, but you're going to react based on the disposition, the stated disposition of your heart. And so that, that has to be the truth of your life. And the reason that Lot's wife turned around was because her treasure wasn't here. Like, look, when Jesus comes back, like, who cares? Who cares about the car? The Look, if your house caught on fire, right, what do you want to, to escape that fire? Your family, right? I mean, like, if everything else burns, that's all right, right? I mean, it's just stuff. I hope, I hope that's true. And that's really the, the, the disposition that we should have. Like, look, I, I want Jesus to come back. I'm ready. I mean, look, this world has nothing for me. This stuff is like, it really, if it, but if we find our, our sense of treasure or security or comfort in the things and the money and, the, you know, all that, then, then that's, that's going to be a hard moment. And it's not like you can just think that through in that moment. <laughs> You're going to respond. And Lot's wife turned around. And that's meant to be an eternal lesson for all of us. Don't look back. But then Jesus in this text clearly states, clearly states, he said, look, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. And he says it in, in like, in, 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 in present tense. Like what he's saying is, you you gotta you gotta make this decision here and now because that's 
You ever notice when things happen chaotically, you often don't make rational decisions, right? Like he's saying, you know, if you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, for my sake in the gospel, Luke says in another place, chapter 9, you'll save it, right? He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Are you living today knowing he is coming back? Are you living with that with that hope and that promise? Because it not only like, it helps us to endure, it helps us to persevere, but it informs the way we live. It changes, it, it, it cultivates our attitude and our perspective. They did not trust in God's word. Right? Noah's context, Lot's context, they had they had no confidence in God's word. How about you? Do you believe that he will return? Like that is our living hope. That's our living hope. And if that is our is our thorough conviction, it's evident in the way that we live for his coming. Right? And we share God's disposition that none should perish. Jesus wondered, will there be faith even when he returns? Let me, let me read Second Peter 2, 4 through 9. Listen to what it says. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Did you hear that? And if he rescued righteous Lot, knowing that his righteousness is imputed by faith, greatly distressed by the the, the sensual, I would say sexual, sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Anybody tormented in their soul over some of the unrighteous deeds that go on? Then the Lord knows, and this is the good news for the saint, Then the Lord, like if that's all true, which it is, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. God, have you ever thought like, I got to get out of this place. I got to get it. There's so much, you know, whether it be a work environment or whatever, I got to, I got to, I got to go, man. This is, this place is too dark. Like, like we're meant to be a light there for sure. But God, God, God has the ability to come in and rescue us out of the dark context of our lives. Let's leave that in his hands, like with Noah and Lot. And then we finish up in verses 28 to 30. It says, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, there will be eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day, on the day, because it says days earlier, on the day when Lot, Lot went out from Sodom, Fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be. Please hear this. So it so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess.
31 to 32 goes on to say, And that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Does that make sense? Right? Because in that moment, like, we know that this is not worth turning back to. This is not our treasure. This is not... This is not our secure. This is this. This is our rescue. I'll read that for us in a minute. And then finally, verses 33 to 35. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There'll be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Sobering thoughts, right? Challenging. Oh, hopefully it, it, it drives us to, um, to share the gospel, the good news, so that others, can the worship team come as we, uh, as we wrap this up here? Um, and we've been warned, right? Like this is not popular messages that you'll hear in mega churches. They don't, this does, but this is what we need to hear. We need to hear because when it comes to the final days, there's only going to be few, right? Jesus said that over and over again in different ways. And, and we have to stay the course and, and fight the good fight of faith and walk in the light as he is in the light. Um, because there's a day that's coming. It's promised. And, uh, and that's just, that's the truth. Well, pray with me. Um, we'll, we'll sing this very relevant song to what we're talking about this morning and then i have a final challenge for us father we thank you that you have not left us without promise uh, without rescue without hope that you have given us uh, the good news and lord jesus it's not even the context of of servants but your bride that you're coming back for us but yet you've left us to finish what you started, to continue the work, the loving work of sharing the good news that God loves us and he's sent a, a rescuer to satisfy our debt and to, to, to bring us back, to, to call us home. And so, Lord, let that be the first thing on our lips. Let that be what we share with others so that they might ha- share the hope that we have and, uh, and join the rescue party. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we pray that these words would not fall on deaf ears, or, um, but on fertile soil and open hearts that are ready to receive and respond faithfully and uniquely and appropriately to what it is that you've challenged us today. Help us not to try to save our lives, but lose it, Lord. Help us to put all of our trust and confidence in your promises and not live for ourselves or for this world, but for you. Please strengthen us to do that by the power and the presence of your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.